We would like to acknowledge that this podcast has been recorded on traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we'd like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello and welcome to I Used to Play Piano, the somewhat monthly-ish podcast for <laughs> yeah. people who want more music in their lives. We're getting a little bit slack. Just Probably more busy. Anyway, <laughs> I'm Zara. And I'm Joanna. <laughs> and welcome to the show. Um, on today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at the genius, virtuoso and ladies man, the Hungarian composer Franz Liszt. Joanna recorded one of his piano pieces a little while ago. Um, we had one stockpiled for this moment when we, <laughs> we would be super hectic. Um, so we'll be able to play that for you a bit later in the episode. Hmm. And Zara is going to attempt a different way of playing this month's scale of the month <laughs> based on a bit of reading I I happen to be doing. I forgot about this and have not prepared. So um, we'll see how we go. Yeah, goes. stay tuned, folks. <laughs> First, let's talk about our months in music. How was your month, Joanna? Yeah, it was it was a busy month. I um I actually went to New Zealand with the brass band that is part, one of the brass bands in the organisation I've been involved in, which I've talked about before. Yeah, in a previous episode. Uh, we went and competed in the New Zealand National Brass Band Championships. Which is just so cool, by the way. Yeah, it was <laughs> lots of fun. So it was uh, located in Blenheim in New South, New South Wales, New Zealand, which is <laughs> <laughs> the top end of the South Island across the river. Beautiful. Across the strait The um, Wellington. The photos on the, is it Darabin City Brass? Yeah. Page, yeah. I was looking on the Facebook page, and the photos looked so beautiful. Yeah, some really nice ones. So much green. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was. It wasn't as cold as I thought it was going to be either, which is good. But um, so this was a competition. Yeah, so it was their national championships, and there were about ten bands in the section that we played in the grade that we played in. We came six out of ten, which I think is pretty good. Well done. It was. Yeah, it was lots of fun. It was hard work preparing for it. That's no. That's no doubt. How do you get all your instruments on the plane? Do you take it on the hand luggage or? <laughs> so the smaller instruments, the um, cornets and tenor horns can be taken on as hand luggage. All the others have to be checked. Even trumpets? We don't have trumpets. What? It's cornets. Oh. Yeah. Really? They have a different tone, a different pitch, a different tone, yeah. Are they tuned differently? No, they're tuned the same, but the the sound is just different. Wow. I never knew that. Yeah. Trumpets are... Uh, I don't know how to describe it. They're just, they've just got a different sort of sound to no, them. No, I get that, yeah. One day oh. I'll show you the difference. <laughs> you know, I play trumpet, right? I know. <laughs> this is so yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I used to play trumpet. <laughs> I, play, I actually cracked it out the other day and my chops were so sore. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, it's um, yeah. it's one of those ones that you can't just pick up every now and then. You have no, to really, really do. exercise, yeah. build those yeah. muscles. Uh, it sort of got to the last day of the competition and... We had a rehearsal in the morning before we were due to play. We were due to go on stage at 4.30. And we had a, a rehearsal at, I think it was 10. And I couldn't play. My lips were gone. Oh, God. I was like, no. No. I need them. What do you do? Is there like a, um, I don't know, some sort of cream you can put on them? To There is apparently, um, which I found out that day. I didn't use any, but apparently it's something to sort of bring all the blood back to your lips. But wow. um, I just did a few exercises. I just warmed down and, yeah. Played, tried to play really low on the instrument. Yeah, right. And um, it seemed to work because later in the afternoon we had another sort of warm-up rehearsal and I could play. Cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. It was good fun though and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then, yeah, and then I went to see William Tell, which is a production that Victorian Opera yeah. put on, which is a couple Yeah, of I heard I such great things about that. It was really good. I saw it twice. Um, the first night I had to work it, I was looking after the uh, – voice kids Aww. who had to go and I was a little bit tired for my trip so I'll admit I may fall asleep <laughs> how but, do you fall asleep mm. you must be tired if you're falling asleep during an opera I was so tired <laughs> but again I went again on Thursday as like a proper spectator and um it was really good I really enjoyed it Amazing. I mean it's a long opera and it's been we like we'd shortened it quite a bit um but 
it was I the music is just phenomenal in that opera. Yeah, really. Like you, if you if you just don't listen to the singers and you listen to the orchestra underneath it, it's really really beautiful orchestral music. So that's where the William Tell overture comes from, obviously. Yeah, the one that. Yeah, not many people know that. Also the. Da, da, da. No, what is it? Um, da, 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 Ah, oh, no, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, took me a while to click to click on. Yeah, yeah, that that also is from that in, that um oh, right. overture. Ah. Not many people know it, but there you go. So I saw that, and last night I went and saw um a trio, piano trio, made up of Timo Vieco Valve, who is the principal cello of the Australian Chamber Orchestra. Oh, cool. And Christian Winther, who is on violin, and Stephen Osborne, who's a Scottish pianist. And they played some pretty fantastic um, music. They played some Schubert, um, a piano, no trio, Schubert piano, oh, yeah, second movement yeah. from the <laughs> E flat major one. And then they did the Dvorak piano trio, the double uh, trio, yes, which is great. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> they did another Schubert um, piano trio, the B flat major, just the second movement. And then they did the Brahms piano trio in B major. Ah, uh, Brahms. Oh, it was so good. So tight. And then for an encore, they did Mendelssohn one of the movements from the Mendelssohn trio. And it's really interesting, actually, because Stephen Osborne, like, they got walked out on stage and Stephen Osborne, like, picked up a mic and just started talking and sort of just said, you know, guys, I really would appreciate it if you just didn't clap in between the Schubert and the other major pieces. He goes, you know, because, you know, you clap, we bow, we walk off stage, we come back on, you clap, we sit down and we play. Because no one, no one gains anything from that. <laughs> and so it was like you know music is is just you know it's there to be enjoyed and i really i i just i think we don't need to disrupt it by um clapping and so yeah for the whole first half and there was no clapping wow that's really interesting like yeah how did that feel as an audience member well they pretty much went straight into it so yeah, it right. wasn't like there was a proper little break um so they went straight into the shoot from the shoot into the Dvorak. okay cool and then again in the second half. Yeah. And it was it was weird because it felt like the Schubert was part of the Dvorak. Oh. If that and makes they, sense. And you said they only played the middle movement of that. Yeah. The second movement Interesting, of it. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. But it was it was good. Like yeah. I quite appreciated it. Um Yeah. And then someone started clapping after the first movement of the Brahms. They obviously <laughs> were taken away. And it was it was tr- like I wanted to clap as well Yeah. It was so good. But then um yeah, he just sort of clapped like four times. someone gave him a really dirty look. No, it was funny because someone clapped and then the other person, another person just whooped. And then I looked at I was born and he was just having a good old laugh. Oh, so. <laughs> it's funny. Like I, I think since, um, like, cause I used to play in a piano trio as well. Um, and when I was playing, I played in a couple of trios and when we did Beethoven, that always felt like you needed to clap after it. Yeah. You know, like Beethoven just commands that a little yeah. bit. Um, but then the, we did the Shostakovich, um, the second piano trio in e, e minor, which is so depressing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like we, I was like emotionally in turmoil after playing that oh, piece. Gosh. It was a really heavy emotional piece to play. Yeah. Um, but that one, like you certainly wouldn't want clapping in between. Which no. Makes sense. But in between two different works. Yeah, that's, that's really what interesting. Because at first it? I was like, okay, that's cool, yeah. you know. And then I realised, oh, he meant between the pieces. Yes. Yeah. really unusual. I know, Um, I think it, I've been to an ACO gig quite a few years ago now where yeah. they made an announcement halfway through, like at interval, I think. they It was where they had, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think they were playing the Beethoven um, piece. I think it's a sonata, I can't remember, that was also like in a book. And yeah. so they had these actors playing, like they were talking, acting like this kind of script related to the story that was based on the piece. Yeah. Um, it was something like, you know, some sort of love gone wrong thing, you know, typical right. kind of stories that the piece was based on. And so the actors would kind of stand up in between movements and do a, a piece. Yeah. And then the orchestra would play and at the end of the movement everyone would clap and then the actors came back on and did something else and they made an announcement at interval saying please don't clap in between <laughs> movements and I was a bit like everyone here was just enjoying it so much and now it feels like we're being scolded, t- scolded and yeah. told what to do and 
I just felt weird. It's and a, yeah, it's an interesting debate and one that has been like yeah at the forefront of a debate for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could write a whole thesis on clapping between you could. movements. I'm really. sure someone has. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to read it if anyone has. <laughs> what do you think, guys? Think. Like, yeah, let's have a poll. We yeah. should have a um a Facebook poll. Do we clap between <laughs> movements? Does it depend on what era? I think it probably does. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to play like a Mozart concerto and then getting to the end after your first cadenza in the middle in the first movement and then just it being really quiet is so heartbreaking and you go into your middle movement you're like yeah did people like it (laughs) you know you have these big beautiful cadenzas and then it's just dead silence yeah i'm sure mozart wouldn't have wanted no and the cadenzas were there to display your yeah (laughs) your ability and your music music musicianshipness whatever the word is <laughs> but yeah do you do you what do you guys think do you think it's okay to clap in between yeah. pieces as well as in between, in between pieces yeah <laughs> interesting yeah i'd love to hear people's thoughts on that it's an interesting one and then of course like if you're creating this atmosphere of a, a particular thing maybe that's you know i'm sure the trio yeah that you saw probably had this beautiful you know it sounds like a really great um, program really so, yeah it was you and know played it it might be well. totally appropriate to not clap then well sometimes I sometimes I'm, I'm down with the not clapping because yeah especially in between movements because you, you set up this whole atmosphere yeah and you don't want that to sort of be ruined yeah but then often even when people don't clap you get all these people just going <laughs> <laughs> or the shuffling and they're like oh thank god the music stopped i can now open my can of drink yeah. <laughs> and it's just like well if you're gonna make that much noise i'd rather clap because at least I won't hear you trying to clear your throat. <laughs> it gives people, the people who have a cold, a chance to cough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's an interesting topic. Would love to hear your thoughts. So please yeah. do shoot us an email and, and um, let us know. Of course. Yeah. Um, but that was my month in music. What about you? What did you... Sorry, I'm just taking a swig of tea here. <laughs> a cup of tea. Um, I've had a really busy month and however long it's actually been since we last recorded. Um, So we had our concert um, with the group that I play in Musical Journeys. We did a joint concert with Footscray Community Choir, which was awesome. We raised money for the ASRC, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre in Footscray. Um, And we just had the best time. It was a really, really fun concert. Um, The choir has put up some of the clips of from the concert on YouTube, so you can check it out. Oh, I might sweet. post a bit of a link. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't share any of the links that our group is in because some people in our group um, don't give permission for their faces right. to be used on social media Fair um, for various reasons. So, But there are some really great clips of the choir going on on there as well, so that was really fun for us. It was nice to have a really cool group you know it's one thing to do a gig with a band but then to have a choir singing the songs that your band sings is yeah. really really cool and it yeah. was i think at the concert between us because the group that i play in we're a bit of a multi multicultural jam band <laughs> so we have members from about six or seven different countries wow um and then with the choir they sung a lot of songs in different languages too so i think we had about probably 12 or 13 different languages all together and including Elvish, because they sung the song from Lord of the Rings, which is really cool. <laughs> um, so that was, yeah, that was kind of like towards the end of last month. And yeah. then uh, this month we had our um, end of term rewire student concert that we've been having at the um, retirement village, which was just awesome. We had a real great range of students performing from some very young kind of beginner students to all the way up to one student who was doing his Amos and he was actually a medical student from Melbourne Uni, Mm -hmm. which I thought just kind of encapsulates everything that we're about as a podcast and that Rewire is about as an organization. You know, the idea that, you know, you can be doing something else with your life, but still have music as such an important part of your life and you know you don't necessarily need to go to Amos level to be able to continue it but it it was such a great connection and we raised a lot of money at that concert for Rewire as well which um you know was super great and the residents at the village were so lovely and they were saying they wanted to adopt some of the students (laughs) which was gorgeous and it's just it was so nice to see this community of people coming together yeah um both of you know young students who are getting up and performing and you know it was a it was such a, such a gorgeous audience, you know, the little kids, um, one of Dan, our Sandman students, got up and played and you could hear the audience go, oh, 
<laughs> so gorgeous. You know, you don't get that in an exam. And I think it was such a positive experience for them. And then a lot of the residents were saying, you know, we don't get a lot of kids coming in here. And, yeah. you know, we don't, they have a lot of different programs there, but just to have, you know, this new group of people bringing in music and having this something to connect over was just yeah. so special. So it was really lovely. That sounds great. Yeah. And then last night, actually, I went to see um, Joe Kindamo's trio perform um, at the NGV, the National oh, Gallery yes. of Victoria. Oh, part of the Friday night. Yeah. They, yeah so right. they do these really cool Friday night jazz nights um, yeah. throughout the winter and they have got an exhibition on from the Museum of Modern Art from yeah. New York. So we went and checked out some some of those stuff. Yeah, and I went I'm, to one the other week. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, I yeah. Zoe Black and someone else. Oh, awesome. It was cool. Yeah, it's such a nice vibe, you know, and I, I like the idea of mixing music and art. Yeah. You know, there's no reason, you know, you've got these beautiful spaces. We should be making, you know, making the most of them. And yeah. I love when art exhibitions get interactive as well and when you can go and do, you know, more things. I think it just enhances the experience for everyone and... It was really, really fun. Yeah, and, I agree. Um, Nick, our sound, other sound guy, and yeah. Dan and I went together, the three of us, and Nick and I got um, New York pretzels, which was really cool. Oh, so yeah. kind of binged a little on that. <laughs> <laughs> Great, yeah. Hence journeying down the chocolate cake before. Yeah. <laughs> My sister made chocolate. Yeah. Anyway. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Well, that sounds like you had a great month of music. We yeah. Both did, I think. I think, like, despite how busy we were, we still got some stuff done. So yeah, that's good. And I think you know you can always make time for music in your life somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even just the music that you listen to every day on Spotify or iTunes or whatever yeah. you're listening. Totally. Or a is. little practice here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I've been enjoying um, just every now and then grabbing at. Um, that book of Sati Gymnopathies from last episode <laughs> and just like reading through a bunch of them and the, I don't know how to pronounce the other ones, the Gymnosaries? Yeah, those ones. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. How many Gymnopathies are there? Three? Three. Yeah. yeah, and they're all like sight readable, so it's kind of fun. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they're good. Cool. Ooh. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, no, thank you. So yeah. should we um get on to some Franz list? Let's do it. So Liszt is one of my favourite composers. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> no yeah. touch of sarcasm in there at all. <laughs> you can't tell that. <laughs> I have loved Liszt since I heard him when I was a young, young wee lass. <laughs> um, I think what attracted to me to him most was firstly the, the virtuosity of his music. Me being someone who likes a challenge. A big show off. <laughs> more than I just like a challenge. Yeah. And just, I think it was a Hungarian waltz, one of the Hungarian waltzes. Hungarian? Are they Rhapsodies? Or? Rhapsodies. Yeah. <laughs> Such I a don't fan. know. Same thing. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. I, I knew him since he before he was cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, and I just remember hearing one of his, his Hungarian Oh, wait, boxes. no, it's dances. Oh, I'm confused. I, I get confused between okay, him and Brahm. Let's Brum. do a quick Google. Let's Google. We are very professional here. I remember, um, I think the first time that I ever heard a list piece was probably the Tom and Jerry thing, the C-sharp minor Hungarian waltz. Number one, waltz? which is the one that I loved. Yeah, good times. It is Hungarian waltz. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, sweet. No. No. Hungarian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry. So Franz Liszt is, it was basically, like, you know when you, you sort of have a wiki of someone and they, they in the first sentence, they just outline all the things that this person done? Yeah, like Franz Liszt was a blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think this is the longest list of things I've ever read in my life. <laughs> Get it, List. Oh, uh, yeah, the longest list. There it's you the go. longest list because he has one big list. Okay, this is List's list. Okay, go. This is a 19th century Hungarian composer, virtuoso pianist, conductor, music teacher, arranger, organist, philanthropist, author, nationalist, <laughs> and a Franciscan tertiary during the Romantic era. So the, is nationalist something that you put in there? Apparently. Wikipedia like, does. <laughs> with your occupations? Yeah. Well, he did a lot of writing, so maybe that's why he claims himself as a nationalist. He was a bit of a writer. Is, is, I wonder if that means like a member of a political party rather than a... Maybe. I don't know. 
It just it seems it reminds me of that thing from The Simpsons where Grandpa Simpson's going, "My son is not a this and a that or a communist." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm um, yeah, a bit sidetracked today. <laughs> <laughs> so, but List is rather an interesting person. He had a natural talent to play the piano, and some of his skills were actually phenomenal. Um, well, they say he was like the original rock star, right? Yeah, he was. Well, yeah. so he was the first pianist that actually turned the piano on its side. So oh. that you could see the profile what? rather than having your back to the, the audience. Really? He was the first one? Yeah, he was the first Whoa. one. And it's because and he was apparently very good looking. And so all the ladies just basically threw themselves at him. <laughs> and he knew it and he loved it. He would place his gloves on the piano top because he knew that women would fight over them. <laughs> and he wanted to see that. So are we allowed to use the word wanker on the show? <laughs> It's our show. We can do what we want. <laughs> Sorry, mum. If you listen. Uh, so, yeah. So, when he played the piano, ladies basically, they would throw their jewellery at him because bouquets weren't enough. That sounds kind of um, dangerous. Yeah. But like, they had some hardcore jewellery oh, back then, gets, yeah? Yeah, like heavy sort of stuff. And they would rush at the stage just to sort of look at his face because it was so beautiful. One lady actually stole the stub of his cigar and carried it around in her bosom until she died. What? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, please, come on. I know. Anyway. We've come a long way. Yeah. Um, are we? Can I just ask, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything here, but could it be possible that he kind of made up some of this stuff to kind of boost his own profile? It could be possible, but then I think people saw and reviewed these concerts and saw what he Fair was enough, like. yeah. Actually, in this book that I've read a lot on on him, there's may I quote something from? from yeah. Him? So read apparently, um, a medical man went to look at a concert, and his specialty get this with women. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and he wanted like someone wanted him to explain the nature of this hysteria and this hysteria that sort of like that list created, and the physician wrote. Sorry, this, the physician spoke of magnetism, galvanism, and electricity, of contagion in a sultry hall filled with innumerable wax lights and some hundred perfumed and perspiring people, of hysterionic epilepsy, of the phenomenon of tickling, of musical cantharides, I don't know what that is, and other unmentionable matters. <laughs> the phenomenon of tickling? What does that mean? I don't know. It's insane, isn't it? And it's just... But And he knew that he had this effect on people, which I find really... And sometimes he would just go along with it. But even to just, you know, he didn't start off this way. He sort of came from a family that wasn't, um, you know, well off or anything. And he he didn't get a very good edu- education. And he really made up for it. He worked very hard and he studied all the, the great literary writers and musicians before him just to really get an understanding. When he was eight years old, Carl Cherney heard him play and realised how bad his technique was and how much direction he really needed. Because that why he wrote talent. all those etudes. <laughs> but he had all these um, – he had this talent and it, was, it wasn't it was being directed anyway. So Cherney basically took him on and taught him how to play properly. And then his dad, List's dad, pulled him out from his tuition because he wanted to make some money off List and so he took him around and toured. And then from this he sort of, you know – he started teaching himself and he started really studying. Apparently he used to practice hours and hours just doing thirds and sixths and octaves and that sort of stuff. Oh. Horrible. <laughs> but, yeah, so he worked hard and because he was so good looking and he was very charming, he attracted a lot of attention and success came very easily to him where others actually had to really work hard for it. I guess, like, he probably had a bit of the gift of the gab as well. Like, you know, he could I think so. kind of bit, bit charming. Yeah. Because, you know, it's one thing to be super amazingly talented and skilled at an instrument, but then to also be, you know, well-spoken and a charmer that yeah. can kind of, you know. And he knew that and he wanted that because he loved the attention. He yeah, always wanted he to be this attention. <laughs> and that's why he did it as well. So he could talk in a certain way and could appear to be intelligent, even though he was very intelligent. And his memory was apparently one of the best memories ever. So he could sight read anything, orchestral scores, like full orchestral scores. He could read them through at the piano and then just play the whole orchestral score without making a mistake, all the lines. He wouldn't even reduce them. He would just play them. How do you play what? (laughs) Grieg's concerto, Grieg showed it to him and he had a look through it 
and you just played it. But there was a bad downside to that as well because because it was so good and he got bored with this music, he would never play it same the same twice. So the second time he would play something, he always improvised on it and or changed it. And that, I think, is a little bit offensive to the composer who wrote this music. Wait, you mean the orchestra part? No, this is just something gen- in general, like any any piece of music. After he, would he just, played it okay, yep. the first time, he would always play it as written the first time. Yep. But then because he knew how it went, he would just improvise on it the second time that he played it, which is a bit of a, come on, man. Well, I mean, I guess it depends. If it was Mozart, I mean, that's probably fine, yeah? Yeah, but then if you're playing it better than what was originally composed. Well, I mean... No, just imagine you were a composer and List, List had, a, had a look at your music and just played it brilliant first time. Awesome. Second time around, he started making a few embellishments and it sounded better. How would you feel? Um, Be honest. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, I've actually had a really interesting, very brief but interesting discussion about the idea of being a composer who works collaboratively with musicians. Like, yeah. you know, particularly nowadays, the form of a composer, not to completely derail, but it would be something really cool to look into. There's um a couple of really cool... Melbourne-based composers who do this kind of thing where they go and they they work with a trio or an ensemble, but they, you know, they kind of, they work with, you know, they'll come up with the piece and then they'll work with the ensemble because, you know, the ensemble knows their instruments better than the composer does or... Yeah. So this, I, I really like this idea of a collaborative composer. That's fair enough. But um, also that's probably not what List was getting at. <laughs> no. Probably the... It was different back then as well. The term that I used before might be a little <laughs> bit more appropriate, <laughs> maybe. Oh, was that was that the one that starts with W? Yeah, yeah, the ba- right. banker. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah, but I mean, he was he was clearly a genius, and he was was clearly a very good musician. Um, he was probably the most famous man of Europe in his time. Wow. Um, and he just loved it. And he, but he also changed the way that artists, <laughs> he loved it. Yeah, totally. He changed the way that artists were viewed on a social level. Yeah, right. Because he brought them to the forefront. He mocked royalty. He laughed in their face. That and, I can get on board with. Yeah, and that was a good thing because <laughs> yeah. it changed the way he um, artists were perceived. And I mean, for example, he apparently um, Frederick Wilhelm the Fourth of Prussia gave him some diamonds, and he just threw them into the wings because he was like, <laughs> "No thanks." And he made a point not to invite Ludwig the First of Bavaria to any of his concerts because they were they were rivals because they were both going for the the attention of um, Lola. Montez, who was an Irish dancer and actress. Her name was Lola. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently he, he was very generous in his time though. He would always, um, he would never charge students for lessons. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But then people would never really have more than one lesson. He apparently had this sort of masterclass, if you will, where he all the students would lay down the music that they had prepared for him and he would choose one that seemed interesting to him. And then they, he would ask them to play it. But then if he didn't like the way they played, he'd like push them out of the way and play it better himself, which isn't very good. But or he'd like he'd help them all, you know, depending on his mood. <laughs> so so what you're saying is he gave free lessons, but they might not have actually been lessons. Yeah, but so, they, <laughs> But they were free, so you know, free. beggars can't be cheap. But then later in his life as well, he also did continue and okay. he promoted people's music, sing Fair conducted enough. people's music. He was very I think generous in that way. Um he was the first composer to orchestrate um, symphonic works on the piano and some of his fa- most famous repertoire was um, his orchestral arrangements by Beethoven and Berlioz. Actually, it's a really funny story. He was doing a concert with um, Massart, which is a, a violinist who was a violinist and they had organized to play the Kreutzer Sonata and they had, they was about to start playing that's the Beethoven one that the ACO were playing that I was telling yeah, you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh my god. And it's like they Yeah. Fate. The Sorry. violinist was about to start playing and then someone in the audience started chat, like just said Robert Le Diable, which is um was an arrangement of a, a fantasy on a theme that um List had arranged. And they kept sort of kept chanting it. And then List basically stops playing, stands up and asks the audience, What do you want? what do you want to hear? And they're like this. And he goes, so basically just waves Masato yeah. off the stage, plays this fantasy and then brings him back on to play the Cruiser Sonata. Wow. Oh my <laughs> God. Is, that was one of his things. He always did what the the public wanted. <laughs> it's a 
a very interesting man, and I hope I'm not painting too bad a picture of him. No, because... I think you're painting a very good picture. I think I would be painting a too bad a picture of him. <laughs> because he was, we can't, you know, he was a brilliant musician, and he really did bring forward music. Yeah, totally. In the way that music yeah. was composed. His two great influences were Paganini, the, the virtuosic yeah, yeah. violinist. Apparently saw him play in concert one day and wanted to be as good as him in terms of showmanship and technique as yeah as Paganini. And his other was Chopin because Chopin taught him how expressive a piano could be and how poetic a piano could be. And so he then started to change the way that he wrote based on Chopin. Very interesting. Mm, it is. It's really interesting. Um, he had one great rival, not the prince who was, you know, they were after A musical him. rival? <laughs> musical rival. Can I guess who it is? Yes. Is it someone that I would know? I don't know. Are they famous? I think so. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to guess now because I'm going to say someone who was like born a hundred years after list. No, no. They were at the same time. <laughs> no, no. But I'll forget like. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and I'll reveal my total lack of music <laughs> history knowledge. Well, it was a Swiss born virtuoso, uh, Sigismund Thalberg. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't actually heard anything that Thalberg composed, but he also did orchestral arrangements and he was quite a gifted musician. He came to Paris while Liszt was away from Paris and he started to take the, the world by storm. This is Thalberg I'm talking about. Liszt got so jealous, he rushed back to Paris to prove how good he was. And then, but Thalberg had gone by this time. And so eventually... And so he just sort of couldn't believe why everyone was liking, didn't know why everyone was liking him. So he locked himself in his study one day and just studied his scores and was like, yeah, uh, I don't think he's that good. But apparently he asked Thalberg to play a concert with him and Thalberg basically said, no, I don't like being accompanied. Whoa. (laughs) Sick burn. (laughs) So, yeah, so that didn't help the situation. Yeah, yikes. And, uh... And so then there was uh, then who was it? Um, the Princess Belgiorgio, who was an amateur pianist of France, invited or organized a concert where both of them would play, and it was this massive event. Did she was, like not tell them that each other were coming? I think she did, but like just come and come and play for me, yeah. just, just you. It'll only be you. Yeah, I might have some other friends there. Why don't you come? <laughs> but basically, like it was a massive concert and. Tickets were going for 40 francs, which I imagine back then probably, probably a lot of money, yeah. A lot of money. There were other musicians. They were pretty much ignored because everyone just wanted to see what. <laughs> and I don't know who won. I think it was pretty close. But that was basically, you know, I think it's probably a good lesson, but also maybe hurt Liszt <laughs> a little bit. But basically, he after he did come back from um, Paris, uh, back to Paris to face him, like people noticed that he had grown as a musician and his time away did really help his playing. Um, and one little fun fact, last fun fact before <laughs> I go on. Apparently, so you're familiar with his music and how big some of the chords can be. Oh, on the yeah. 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 So apparently his hands weren't that big. One of his students has recorded that he could barely get a tenth. What? Yeah. But he knew how to manoeuvre and manipulate his hands in a way that he could reach these chords, which I think is odd. Magic. Which I also think is allows you to sort of be a little bit more liberal and actually arpeggiate a lot of these chords. <laughs> oh, you mean like when you're interpreting? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. so, if he couldn't do it, well, I won't do it either. Um, <laughs> but yes, as he grew older, he sort of kept um, trying to understand music and what it did for the soul. I think that was something that was always at the centre of his his music journey, musical journey. As... That's the name of my band. <laughs> <laughs> that is the name of your band. And um, he sort of became a bit restless. He didn't really know what he was looking for. And so he became a priest in 1865. Really? Yeah. Was that on that list of things that he did in there that you read before? Uh, I don't remember you saying that. Let me have a look. Franciscan tertiary, I think. Maybe. Oh, is that what that means? I think yep. maybe. It's... Yeah, that sounds it. It is. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And he kept in that time, he didn't really have, it wasn't the type of priest where he had to like, had lots of duties. So he could still dedicate a lot of his time to his music and composition. And Is that the kind of writing. priest where you're not allowed to marry or have to take a vow of celibacy? Sure. Cause it seems like a big kind I don't of think it was. 180 from no, yeah, I don't think it was. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was really interesting. And I think I really enjoyed reading up on him and it's, I think I will probably come back to this at some stage because 
there are so many works of his that I do love. And this piece that I'm going to talk about in a sec was, is part of a, a bigger um, volume of works that I have a life goal to play them all. <laughs> wow, you wanna go get it, girl? You do yeah, it. We'll try. <laughs> slowly, slowly. So yeah, so that's France List, the brilliant man that he was, and um, yeah, I can't believe they had a doctor go to his concert. Yeah, it's really to diagnose the um women. That's ridiculous. I don't know. It isn't diagnosed, but trying to understand what was happening in the room that made them all go crazy. They um. <clears throat> So I'm, are you familiar with the term listomania? Yeah. Like that whole listomania thing. I read. I remember reading that because that's kind of like where the terms like Beatles mania came from and, you know, what they use for all the kind of like, you know, crazy fan, fanatical yeah. kind of yeah. mobbing things that were going on in the 60s. But um, apparently like listomania was not meant in the kind of like, you know, joking kind of term. It, it was actually, actually a, a literal condition. medical... Wow. Like they meant it because, you know, back then you talk, you had, they talked about women having hysteria and yeah. it was pretty much anything that was wrong with a woman. She's hysterical. <laughs> so, you know, oh, actually dear. the movie hysteria um, about women being hysterical. Oh, really? It's pretty much about the creation of the vibrator, <laughs> which is, oh, it's a great movie. Definitely watch <laughs> it. I highly recommend it. But the idea that like a woman, you know, anything that was wrong with her husband just, oh, she's hysterical. We need to, you know, institutionalize her. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting indeed. Right. So um, the piece that you're going to listen to is um, part of, it's called Le Mal du Pas. I think that's how you say the French. And it basically means homesickness. Oh. So it comes from the first volume of his Anne's de Pelerinage or Years of Pilgrimage. List wrote three of these um, volumes of his Years of Pilgrimage. The first one is, which this one is from, comes, um, is sort of based around Switzerland and his travels in Switzerland. So it really is a reflection of the the, the sounds and the scenery that he saw. Um, a lot of this particular work, this particular volume comes from one of his earlier works of Album d'un Voyager, so an album of a Voyager. But he did a lot of editing on them um, and then sort of re- and then published them as this first volume. So the title refers to Goeth's famous novel of self-realisation, Wilhelm Meister's Apprenticeship. And its central theme is the artistic realisation, which I think is something that Liszt could really relate to, especially during his travels, because he was searching for this, for something to... And it really... Um, did mature his way of playing and his way of writing. And if you listen to a lot of the pieces, the individual pieces, there are nine of them in this volume, they're very re- reflective of what their titles are, um, especially this one. I think you can really sort of hear that there is like some sort of homesickness yeah, right. for his homeland. Um, a lot of the pieces are accompanied by literary passages from writers of the Romantic period, so such as... Frederick Schiller, Lord Byron, and Sonnencore as well. List actually introduced the whole volume um, and he wrote a little passage and he basically, they were quoting here, was having recently travelled to many new countries through different settings and places, consecrated by history and poetry, having felt that the phenomena of nature and their attendant sights did not pass before my eyes as pointless images, but stirred deep emotions in my soul, and that between us a vague but immediate relationship had established itself, an undefined but real report, an inexplicable but undeniable communication, I have tried to portray in music a few of my strongest sensations and most lively impressions oh and i think it's a really good that's pretty deep it is yeah. it really is and it's i think it's a really good um summary of what these pieces are it's a good um you know another layer to list because you know you can just get focused on the listomania side and yeah. the, the ego and the showmanship and you know yeah. the rhapsodies and you yeah. know the, the kind of showy pieces but then he also does have these beautiful yeah. reflective pieces as well that I don't think you hear them as often. No, I think yeah. he had a very um, a great skill of understanding what people were trying to say through music and of also expressing his own and conveying his own thoughts, Yeah, which I think was a big thing in the Romantic period. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so 
I really enjoyed learning this piece. It's not too hard. It's probably one of the easy ones in the in the series, which Don't is why I yourself it. <laughs> but um it's I think it's really nice and it's it's a bit hard to play in that it can come across across a bit bitsy. There's like the short phrases and they sort of yeah. don't tie as easily together. Yeah, I was never quite sure when you were finished when yeah. we were recording it. Yeah. Yeah, because there's lots of sort of breaks and pauses and but it's on a whole it's quite good. Anyway. Have a listen. Yeah, can't wait.
Oh, that was so beautiful, Ioana. <laughs> it's, it's a good piece to play. I reckon you should all do it. <laughs> Everyone, go out and learn that. For this. Learn it's like piece. a book club. Yeah. You go out and learn a piece a month. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, totally. Just go and learn a list. Do it. It's easy. <laughs> then write a list of what you're learning. <laughs> no more list puns. We've only had a couple. I'm really surprised and impressed at our restraints. <laughs> the lack I think of his list himself was so interesting. We just got distracted. Totally. Um, but speaking of book clubs for doing things a month it's time for everyone's favorite segment scale of the month <laughs> why do we insist just singing it like that when we came up with a perfectly good we did i don't know just the thing that comes it sounds more fun yeah. <laughs> all right so i it's my month this month ish time period um and Ioana in her big book of list is it a book about list or no, is it a, a huge book? book? The Greatest Pianists from Mozart to the Present. And right. actually quite a good read. I cool. By Harold C. Schoenberg. Oh, nice. It's so this is about um, what makes a good pianist, basically. Yeah, so it sort of went through, goes through, I haven't read it all, I'm still reading it, but it goes through all the, the main pianists and also those that we don't really know cool. and sort of talks about what they did for piano. Yeah. And obviously the book starts with Bach. Yeah. And one thing that I came across, don't worry, this does relate to scales, I'm getting there, <laughs> was that J.S. Bach developed the modern day fingering that we have for playing scales. So up until his time, the thumb and little finger of the right hand were hardly ever used, which is really weird. So right hand scales, they must have played scales separately, hand separately. Right. Because right hand scales... I mean, I'm into that. Yeah. <laughs> right hand scales were generally played with only the third and fourth fingers going up, the second and third coming down. Third and fourth fingers going up and second and third going down. Zara is going to attempt this on a C major scale. You're going to have to repeat that when I get yep. over to the piano. <laughs> I will, I will. And left hand scales were run up with the, th- the thumb and the forefinger. doesn't say how they came down. But Bach was the first one who seemed to have allowed the thumb to pass under the other fingers. Yeah, good old thumb pass. And it's really, it's it, the author here says, it's hard to see how much of his music could otherwise be played. And it's so true. Yeah. Like, I can't even, I can't even fathom it. Like, <laughs> when I read it, I had to read it three times to make sure I'd read it properly. And then I sent it to Try you. Try playing a fugue with only three fingers. It's insane. I mean, they're playing on harpsichords, but I still don't think, so... It may not have been as much of an action. So yeah. Maybe it wasn't well, have you played a harpsichord before? No. I played a Bach Prelude and Fugue on a harpsichord, and the keys are really small, so it was it was actually maybe. weird for me to play it. So I can kind of see, but yeah. also still no. Yeah. So it probably did work for that <laughs> instrument, but it wouldn't work on a piano because the keys are so much thicker and heavier. Whoa. All right. Anyway, well, Zara's going to give it a go. Wish me luck, everyone. You can just do the right hand if you want. Yeah. Let's try that to start with. <laughs> we'll see how I go. So while Sarah makes her way over to the piano, um, I'll just re- remind you of what what it is. So as you go up, use your third and fourth fingers. I've got too many traps in my. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna break something. <laughs> All right. Okay. So third and fourth fingers going up. Yep. Um, and then second and third, and third coming down. down. Okay. All right. Give it a try. I'm going to do it in C major because I don't know how this would incorporate black. Do it. Wait, so I start with my third finger? (laughs) I guess so, yeah, because you can't really start with your fourth. Oh, God, okay. Let's give this a try. How do you... (laughs) It's so awkward. And then what was on the way down? Two and three. There's a lot of elbow action happening. I want to try that again. Yeah. <laughs> that go, does like, not feel good. <laughs> no, but it's funny because watching you do it actually just made it make sense in my mind because I couldn't quite fathom it. Well, like, when I when I first started ascending, I was trying to pass my third finger under my fourth finger, but that. No, it's super has to awkward. Be over. So then I realized it can go over and that was a bit better. But the way down was super awkward. Yeah. I don't 
I don't agree that that makes sense. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I mean, the thumb and the forefinger would work in the left-hand scale. That would be quite easy because that's just... Shall I try it? Yeah, do it. Thumb and... Forefinger. Forefinger. Ascending? Yeah, I think ascending and descending. Yeah, that's easy. Easy? That that kind of seems like how a lot of like beginner students place game. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thank you for being the guinea pig in that experiment. Sarah. No problem. I'm glad it was you. Well, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily feel good about that. <laughs> that's funny. I think probably for the harpsichord, it would have been okay. I still question that. <laughs> but it's funny, like you wouldn't like. That no one had thought to just allow the thumb to pass under the other fingers. Yeah, or to even use them. Yeah. It's like, that's why we have opposable thumbs. <laughs> anyway. It's like if you're a chicken or something. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear. Um, so I think that just about brings us to the end today. Yeah, it does. Yeah. We covered all our topics, I think. Hope you enjoyed <laughs> the episode. Yeah, thank you for tuning in again. Um, sorry it's taken so long to get this one out, but we will be back in some unknown time period in the not-too-distant future with another episode. Yes. And we do have some exciting guests coming up in the next couple of months as well, so um, definitely some things to look forward to, particularly um, getting a bit of a break from our own voices. Yes. <laughs> You'd probably all enjoy that. <laughs> um, so before we finish, we should um, give an extra special thank you to our sound guys, Dan and Nick. <laughs> I was going to say Dan Maturano. <laughs> oh, wow, that's awkward. Dan Liston and Nick Maturano. And we should also, if you can, if you liked what you're listening to, if you enjoyed hearing us chat, um, please go to iTunes or whatever podcasting service you get and rate and review us. That helps us to get the word out to more people. Um, please be kind. We're only sensitive hysterical women <laughs> we um we don't take criticism very well no. we might we might throw our jewelry at someone <laughs> and fall under in a bout of hysteria this was um yeah i learned a lot <laughs> it's an insightful episode oh yes oh, what a time to be alive <laughs> um so yeah please rate and review um follow us on instagram at i used to play piano and on facebook at i used to play piano podcast and if you want to get in touch you can um, get in touch via those social media pages or at our email address, which is I used to play podcast at gmail.com. That's I used to play podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will catch you next time. Yeah, have a great month ish. <laughs> <laughs>